to Jorge and John talk about soccer. The World Cup is behind us, but we're here for one more episode to go over our World Cup best 11s. I am John Block, joined as always, and for the last time, by Jorge Deneve. It was a, a fun 10 episodes, so I'm very glad I decided to hop on this with you. It has been a fun time. Hopefully it's been fun for those of you who have been listening. But let, let's hop right in to our 11s. I guess we'll, we'll go over some ground rules first. So we're going to start off, we each picked kind of three sub-slash-alternate players who, who didn't make the 11, but who we thought deserved, I guess, an honorable mention. And so we're going to do those first, and then we're just going to basically go through. We decided to do sort of a, a 4-4-2, narrower, narrower formation, just because there weren't a ton of, of players who solely played on the wings who really impressed either of us. So it's basically going to be a back four, and then sort of two more defensive box-to-box midfielders, two more attacking midfield players who could also play on the wing, and then two strikers, and we're just going to sort of work back to front in that sense. But we're going to start off with our subs. We had entirely different choices for these three, and so, Jorge, would you like to to put your first sub out first? Yeah, um, so my first sub was Yeri Mina, who played center back for Colombia. And I just thought this was a team I didn't expect to be all that defensively solid, and in some ways they were, in other ways they weren't. But Mina also came up with big goals for Colombia just from set pieces and by virtue of being 6'5", and looked very, very confident. So I was impressed with someone who especially didn't play a lot for Barcelona for the past six months to come out and look so sharp. Yeah, uh, so I actually had Mina in my eleven. And I think I can get more into the reasons why I chose him over other center backs. But but you pointed out that he he really offered he scored three goals, which which is really impressive. His goal scoring rate for Colombia he doesn't have a ton of caps, but it, it's still really impressive. And he just he was honestly the most influential attacking player in, in some senses, in, in the fact that he got some really important goals, including the one to send that England game to penalties that that, that late header. So, I, I mean, yeah, he, he's had a good tournament for sure. And, you know, who knows what his Barcelona career will look like. Obviously some, you know, intense competition for those two center back spots ahead of him. But but he had a, a good tournament, definitely, I think, deserving of at least a spot on the subs. I, I obviously had him in the 11. But I'll go to my first sub now, and that is Takashi Anui of Japan. And, and Japan's a team that, you know, they were in a very even group H and they were maybe the team that, that I would have picked uh, to come in last in that group out of anybody. And they ended up doing pretty well for themselves and coming in second in the group, although, you know, on a, on a technicality of fair play, play points over Senegal. But they looked pretty good in their game against Colombia, albeit being up a man the whole time. And, and against Senegal, they played them to a very fair 2-2 draw. And then, obviously, that round of 16 game against Belgium, you know, Belgium was able to kind of overpower them once once they really revved it up, but Japan was playing really well and deserved to get out to that 2-0 lead. And I think the best player for Japan was Takashi Inui. He, he looked really sharp, usually playing on that left wing for Japan. I think he bagged a couple goals, maybe an assist as well. And just, he, he impressed me a lot, and I, I think he deserves the spot. Yeah, Inui was great. I mean, I thought about putting him on my subs, but eventually decided he was probably player... 
16 or 17 on the list of the best players of this World Cup and not quite in my top 14. But he was great. I picked someone in a similar position, though, in Russia's Denis Cheryshev. Uh, I think that he injected a little life into Russia because at the start of that Saudi Arabia game, they looked really flat with Zhagoev in. And he, he continued to push and create a lot for for the hosts. And so, I mean, without him, they don't get out of their group, I don't think, much less make it to a quarterfinal. So he got a spot on my bench. Yeah, Tershev was someone I considered as a sub as well. I think just ultimately because, you know, really the the games when he was at his best was against, you know, such low opposition in Saudi Arabia and Egypt. And then, you know, he had that amazing goal against Croatia. But, you know, that was, I would say, atypical for anyone to get that goal. And I don't think he was especially amazing in that game against Croatia. So, I mean, definitely one of better, Russia's best players, probably their best player, and someone I considered. But I think just because of the level of opposition that, that he played against when, when he was at his best, I decided to leave him off. That's fair. But uh, my next sub is Andre Carrillo from Peru. This is, I, I think, to be honest... There were probably players who had better World Cups than Carrillo. But he, he was the player who excited me the most on a Peruvian team that, even though they didn't get out of the group, looked really good in all of their games. I mean, Carrillo was always a threat in all three of those games for Peru. Uh, coming down the right wing, the interplay between him and the right back, Edvinkola, who is just, they're both super fast, and Carrillo's pretty good on the ball as well. He had a really nice strike for a goal against Australia. And he's just a player who, you know, has been kind of this up-and-coming player for a while who's never really broken through. But, you know, in this World Cup, he, he did look really good. Yeah, he was great. I, I overlooked Peru a little bit just because they didn't get out, and I don't think they gave as large of a sample size. But I think he's the player you choose, if for nothing else, for that incredible volley. Um, and then for my third set, I had to put Ronaldo on on my bench just because... As easy as his goals came, he scored them. And outside of that, I think Portugal scored maybe two other goals. So and he was there in the big moment for a team that sat back a lot. And I think just having him as an outlet, not only scoring, but creating more than I expected him to. Uh, I thought he, he just squeaked onto the edge of the bench for me. Yeah, I considered Ronaldo as well. I think just ultimately because, you know, he's those four, of those four goals, you know, one was a penalty, one was a mistake by De Gea. That free kick, very nice credit to him and credit to him on the set-piece header he got in Portugal's game against Morocco. But I just think, you know, he didn't do a whole lot beyond that. And, you know, he looked really sharp in that game against Spain, and then it seemed like he sort of tailed off a bit. I mean, he, he was pretty ineffective uh, against the Uruguay defense in the round of 16. And I mean, you know, I don't think you can put all of that on Ronaldo's shoulders because the, the help he got from, you know, the other attacking players on Portugal was generally hard. But, I, I mean, he, he just was close but ended up missing out. But my third player was Isco on Spain. And, you know... Isco definitely didn't put up the stats Ronaldo did. And Spain, I think, struggled even more than Portugal struggled in a lot of ways. But Isco pretty consistently looked the best on the ball for that team and looked like if anyone was going to do something, it was going to be him. I think 
you know, you, you can point to the lack of final results, but I just think, you know, Isco's individual play was pretty solid throughout, and I think he did enough where, you know, despite his team being pretty disappointing, he, he deserved a spot. Yeah, I mean, Isco was kind of the outlet for when Spain was trying to sit on a lead, which to me seems odd that Spain would try to do it, but they did. And it seemed like he couldn't lose the ball. He could dribble around anybody whenever he wanted to. And he's another one that I, I considered for my bench. Um, but I, I do think for someone like him who can glide past people on the ball, there wasn't enough of that in the final third, where it's probably most important. And I think I was underwhelmed by him just because I've seen him at Real Madrid and, and think very highly of him. I, th- I think he could have performed better to his standard. That's fair. But uh, let, let's move on to the 11s themselves now that we've gone through the subs. Starting with goalkeepers, Jorge, who do you have? I have Denmark's Kasper Schmeichel. And I know he only played four games, but when you look back on the tournament, he, I think, only... Cons- oh, no, that's false. He conceded twice. But he, he was very solid in all aspects of the game. He... He conceded twice, one from a uh, Mila Jednak penalty and the other on Mansugic's freak goal where the ball gets cleared off the face of a Danish defender and Mansugic kind of pushes it in. And then he saved Modric's penalty. I think he, he was very confident in his box. He commanded it well and just really some stellar, stellar play. Yeah, Schmeichel was, was a guy I considered for this spot also. I mean... He, you could make a case that he was, you know, the most consistent throughout the tournament at B as, you know, a good keeper. And, you know, I think there's at least maybe not in the France game because that was, you know, a pretty boring one. But in, in the rest of Denmark's games, he, he came up. I know he did a lot in that Peru game to, to open the tournament for Denmark. And he made some really good saves to, to keep that one no win for them, which was ended up being really big. And so, I mean, I think he, he had a good tournament for sure. I went with Thibaut Courtois, which is, I think, probably a more popular pick. And I talked about it in the episode we did last when we recapped the final and, and talked about the awards. He ended up winning the Golden Ball. And I think, A, his performance against Brazil was the best performance of any keeper in the tournament, in my opinion. I mean, I, he was probably the man of the match in that game for Belgium. Just did a really good job in that especially with you know Brazil knocking down the door for so long and just packing men into the box. But, I mean, the, so he did that, and that's kind of on a higher stage than, than Schmeichel did anything you know, in the quarterfinals. He, he played pretty well against France in the semifinal as well. You know, he was a little shakier towards the beginning of the tournament, but never really made any consequential errors. So I, I just, because there was no goalkeeper who really stood out, you know, I, this is probably the, the position where I had the most people I considered, just because there isn't anyone who... who really stood out, and because Courtois had, you know, what I think is the best performance and played pretty well consistently, especially in the later rounds, I ended up giving it to him. That's fair. I mean, I I didn't pick him, but I can't necessarily argue with him being th- in that spot either. Um, so not really much there. They were both close. And now moving on to the back line, we have completely different back lines, starting with the right back. I chose Sime Versalico um, with Croatia simply because... Croatia looked vulnerable at times, but it always came from Strinic's side. I, I don't think there was any left-sided attacking player that caused Croatia any sort of trouble. And he provided some attacking 
um, talent as well. So I, I think he just had a very, very solid tournament all around. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I had Versalico as my number two right back. Um, he, he definitely had a really good tournament and was probably the most balanced of any right back. I, I think he helped out in the attack, working on that right with Rebic and then sometimes Perisic when Rebic and Perisic would, would flip. And he, I agree with you, he, he defended really well. I went with Kieran Trippier for England. And I think, you know, defensively, I think there's more questions to ask. I think he was definitely not as good as Versalico. You probably name, you know, a, a half dozen other right backs who, who perform better defensively. Obviously, Trippier played more of a, a right wing back role, so it's a little different. And the fullbacks were kind of hard. We'll get to it more for left back, but a lot of teams played three at the back in this tournament. So the, the fullback was probably left back was the hardest for me to pick, but there was like less options for both right back and left back here than I think there normally would be. But Trippier had the most chances created of any player at any position in the World Cup, and I think he was the most important player for England because they really made it all the way to the semifinal based on set pieces, and Trippier was the person delivering those set pieces, and I think he did a really good job at it. Ended up getting that goal in the semifinal against Croatia. Obviously, it wasn't enough. But, I mean, I just think offensively, he, and really off of set pieces more than anything else, he did enough where, you know, despite not really standing out defensively, he was the best right back for me. Yeah. Um, Trippier was was very good with set piece deliveries, and I think you were praising those the whole time. So when I saw that come up, I wasn't all that surprised. Going on to the center backs, I had Francis Rafa Varane and Uruguay's Diego Godin. Varan at times was stuck with Samuel Umtiti and, and Benjamin Pavard, who had good tournaments but were a lot of times disorganized. And especially at times in that Belgium game, I, I think I tweeted, wow, France is playing a one-man back line with Varan. And when he needed to step up, he stepped up big. He didn't make any mental mistakes, which is really what you need with a center back like that. Um, and then Godin, that Uruguay defense was solid the entire tournament and he was the leader um put in tough tackles intercepted balls distributed well he has a case to be the best center back in the world even at his age which is impressive yeah i had two different center backs and i would say i pretty strongly considered one of yours and didn't really consider the other and so my two center backs are yeri mina who i mentioned and andreas grongfist of sweden and so for your center backs, I think that for Godin, I, I agree with you completely, and he was probably the, the last one out of that two-man back pairing for center backs. I think you know, he was you know, immense for Uruguay. Their defense w- was excellent, and I think you know, against France, they just kind of weren't quite able to, to do enough, control the ball enough when they had Cavani out injured. But, but I mean, the defense didn't look horrible by any means you know, even when they were sort of struggling in, in the other aspects of the game. And so I, I think, you know, that's definitely a fair pick. For Varane, I, I don't think he had a bad tournament. I, I think, you know, he, he was good, he was fine. I just think the way France played, they they controlled the ball very well. And, and, you know, A, there were times when they didn't look great defensively. You know, that game against Argentina, they conceded three goals. And then, on the other hand, when they were playing well, their defense wasn't asked to do a whole lot just because they controlled the ball so much and they dictated the pace of play and really the ball wasn't in you know their defensive third all that much when, when things were clicking that it just I don't think there was enough 
of Varad being challenged, where I would give it to him for an outstanding performance over someone else. And then for my center backs, Yeremina, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. I kind of went with the same logic that I went with with Trippier, and that's just, I think, you know, defensively, I would say Davinson Sanchez had a better tournament than Mina, and I think he's a better center back. But Mina did enough offensively where, you know, that kind of gave him the spot because he, he made enough of a difference for the Columbia team, you know, even if it wasn't in the way where, you know, a center back would typically do that. I think it was enough overall to be deserving of the spot. And then for Gronkvist, I mean, I think, you know, they lost the plot a bit against England, didn't play very well, you know, in any aspect of the game. But, you know, they made it all the way to the quarterfinals, basically relying on their defense. And I think Gronkvist was the biggest part of that. You know, in a lot of their games, they were sitting back a lot pretty consistently. You know, I mean, it ended up not working out in that Germany game, but only because of a last-second, you know, amazing Tony Cruz free kick. And I think you can't really blame Gronkvist for that. And I just think, you know, he, he was constantly, you know, in the box, you know, again, in that Switzerland game in the round of 16 is maybe where he impressed me the most. He just, you know, their whole, Switzerland's whole strategy was basically, you know, Shakiri or Ricardo Rodriguez crossing a ball into the box. And I don't know how many times he, he headed one away, but it was, it was definitely a lot. I think, you know, he was better than Lindelof, in my opinion, who's the other Swedish center back. And, you know, their defense for the most part looked really solid. So I decided to give him the other center back spot. Yeah, Gronkvist was good. I honestly forgot about him, and I had Mina on my bench, so I, I thought he was great during the tournament, too. Um, left back, probably the hardest position to choose from, because whereas for the other positions, there were players that went well but just didn't stand out. Left back, people hardly even played well. I ended up going with Lucas Hernandez for France almost solely because of the run he made to set up Mbappe's goal in the final. Yeah, I mean, I think the two left backs who I've seen the most in different, you know, World Cup 11s have been Marcelo and Hernandez. I think Marcelo that's purely an example of him kind of being the consensus left back, best left back in in the world going into the tournament and no one really standing out, so people just kind of defaulting to Marcelo, which I think I definitely wouldn't pick Marcelo. I think Hernandez is a more respectable choice. And, you know, I agree that no one really stood out. And Hernandez did, you know, the most recent thing of any other left back to stand out with that run, which was definitely deserving of praise. I just think, you know, he really didn't do a whole lot else that I that I can remember that was that impressive. And, I mean, he, he definitely looked better than Pavard on the right, but Pavard didn't look that good and is really a center back anyway. So I think it's tough to give it to Hernandez just because he was, you know, on the French team that won and had that one good play. That being said, you know, there really wasn't anyone who stood out that much. I ended up going with Diego Laxalt for Uruguay, who it seems like he's listed as a midfielder. I don't watch Syria, so maybe he plays at left back some, but he's listed as a midfielder. So when he came in at left back, he didn't initially start there for Uruguay. I, I was maybe a little concerned that, you know, what was a very stout defense might struggle, and they really didn't. And I think he, he stepped in really admirably. admirably and played well, got involved in the attack, you know, was solid enough defensively. And, you know, I think also maybe some of it is, you know, I ended up leaving Godin out, and that Uruguay defense was really good, so I wanted to give them some representation. But, you know, I, I think I'm definitely open to, to other options here just because I don't think anyone really stood out at left back. 
No, no one did. And I think the main reason that I went with Hernandez over Luxalt, who I also thought was good, especially for being somewhat of a converted winner or winger, is because I had Godin. And I thought, eh. I, I kind of attributed his success more to Godin than anything else. But he's, he's definitely worthy of being considered for this team. Um, but that's where we disagree the most, because as we move forward, five of our six players are the same. So my two more defensive-minded midfielders are N'Golo Kante, who the French would not have won without him, period, and Ivan Rakitic. And I'm going to defend my Rakitic choice a little bit because he, he, you don't have him. Um, he ran around a lot for Croatia. It's kind of what he does for Barcelona as well. And I thought during the group stage that he was more important to them than Luka Modric. Now, obviously, Modric grew as the tournament went on and, and was great and ended up winning the golden ball deservedly. But I think Ivan Rakitic's contributions to Croatia, beyond just scoring the two fifth penalties that they had with a calmness I don't think I've ever seen from someone taking that spot, minus Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, I thought he deserved a, a spot in this team. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I mean, the main reason I didn't have Rakitic was just because I ended up including Modric in kind of the two more defensive midfielders because I, I kind of you know wanted two more attacking midfielders versus you know Modric who was more box to box to be in those other two spots, and you had Modric in those other two spots. So, so I think that's really where it differs. I, I think uh, the Rakitic decision is definitely fair. You know, he definitely went under the radar more than Modric, like you said, and you know, isn't getting, you know, the same praise. But, you know, he's another world-class midfielder. There's a reason people praise the Croatia midfield so much and not just Luka Modric. And that reason is because they also have Ivan Rakitic mainly. And, you know, he, he had an excellent tournament. The the poise from penalties was definitely really impl- pre- impressive as well. And I think that's definitely a fair choice. For Conte, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty easy one. Probably the most popular selection of anyone. Although I did see one, I think, from ESPN FC that didn't have him. I mean, it's a shame that he, he got that yellow and went out early in the final, which I guess is maybe why they did it. But, I mean, he was the most important player on the team that won the World Cup, so I think it's tough to leave him off. I mean, he's just immense. And I think part of the reason why I felt like I could put Modric in that kind of holding box-to-box midfield group is because Conte you know, can do enough of the defensive duties just by himself that you kind of give that Modric give Modric that freedom, even in a two-man midfield, where, you know, Conte is just, he basically can, you know, just do enough that it seems like he can cover the round of two other players. Yeah, I I think that's completely fair. As you said, instead of having Modric next to Conte, I had him further forward, along with Philippe Coutinho, who I think was Brazil's best player over the course of the tournament. And as opposed to playing these guys kind of as wingers, as they as Coutinho will do occasionally, I my two more attacking midfielders I I have in my mind if I see this team play I just have them just drifting around and just popping up wherever they need to be because they both have a tendency to do that so why not let them do it and just let them run around the field wherever they want to get the ball I I think Modric won the golden ball we obviously know and Coutinho outshone Neymar which is hard to do given how much he dominates the ball and wants to make things happen. Um, but Coutinho was great. Yeah, he, I, he was, and I have him on also. My two more attacking players are Philippe Coutinho and Kylian Mbappe. And 
I think, you know, Modric, I don't know, we haven't talked a lot about Modric, but I don't know that there's that much to be said. If you've been listening to this, if you've watched the World Cup at all, you, you kind of get the, what the deal is with Modric. And we've talked about how he just was immense for Croatia. And, you know, really, especially once we got to the knockout stages, really carried that Croatian team and just was involved in so much of their attacking play. And, you know, I'm sure he's going to need a, a long break. I don't even know if he'll be ready for the season with Real Madrid because he, he covered the most ground of any player in the tournament and, you know, was immense for Croatia. With Coutinho, I, I agree that he outshone Neymar, who, you know, didn't have the best tournament, but wasn't bad by any means. And so I think Coutinho deserves a lot of credit. He had a really good tournament, scored, you know, a, a classic Coutinho long-range goal, had a really nice assist in, uh, I forget which game it was, but one of them. And just was overall really impressive. Um, the reason I have Mbappe on, I can definitely see... You know, the counter-argument being that you know, he was a lot of flash and, and not a lot of consistency, not a lot of substance. But I think, A, he, you know, did a lot in, in some important moments. You know, he kind of was the, the key in, in taking over the game for France in that Argentina game where they didn't play great, and he just kind of single-handedly was like, no, we're winning this, and bagged two goals. You know, he got that goal in the final as well, although, you know, the game was pretty solidly in France's hands by that point. But, you know, I just think, you know, even when France weren't doing great and even when Mbappe wasn't, you know, creating chances all that much, he was always, you know, an outlet for them who they could just, you know, send a long ball to. And more often than not, he was available to run down and grab it and relieve pressure. And I think part of the reason why France were able to, you know, not rely on their defense so much and, and why I wouldn't put someone like Rafael Varane in, in my best 11 is because they had someone like Mbappe who allowed them to just you know, push forward and relieve pressure so much. So I think he was a really important part of that team. Not as much as Conte, but but important enough and played well enough that I think he deserves a spot. No, yeah, I I think you're right in that the counter-argument is he wasn't very consistent, and that's actually why I left him off. But it was really hard to do that just because he was so exciting and and brilliant in moments, but it, it was just a couple moments. So despite how good he was, I... I couldn't fit him into this team um, or rationalize putting him in over Rakitic, because that's essentially what I did, and then tweaked the team for it. But he was really, really special. And I might have put him up top, except we have a consensus forward line of Romelu Lukaku and Edinson Cavani. Um, I'll talk about Lukaku, and I'll leave you Cavani. To me, Lukaku just looked happy that he wasn't playing for Mourinho. And he was able to run around and attack and drive at players and not just play with his back to goal the whole time. Because that's a side of Ronaldo Lukaku that we were able to see at Everton when he would pick the ball up a little deeper and drive at defenders, which is what he did to set up De Bruyne's goal against Brazil. Um, And then, of course, he scored the goals himself, had a couple of really nice chips. Um, He had the dummy for Chadley's goal. He, He was probably the most lively forward in the tournament just because he doesn't get to do that for the whole season. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously he got the goals, four goals tied for second most in the tournament. But, I mean, I think you you could probably have made a case for any of Hazard, Lukaku, and De Bruyne just because, you know, they were all pretty effective at times. But I think Lukaku was the most consistent and... You know, he was really good at, at relieving pressure in, in that Brazil game, as was Hazard, to be fair to him. 
And he was just, he just worked the space really well where I'm not someone who can, you know, watch a soccer game and, you know, have such an eye for it that I can see it all the time. And so for how much I noticed it with Lukaku, he was probably doing it even more than that. And it just really impressed me that he he was moving so well. And, and I think you're right that he really did enjoy the freedom that, you know, that really attacking Belgium side and that open Belgium side gives him. And I think he, he took full advantage of it because he had a really good tournament. And then for Edinson Cavani, who was both of our other choice, I mean, he was really the fulcrum of Uruguay's attack. You know, Suarez didn't have an amazing tournament, I don't think. And, and it was really up to Cavani to, you know, take what was kind of a lackluster midfield and, and, you know, get the ball, you know, sometimes coming back to get it and just, you know, sometimes getting it up front and, and doing something on his own. And, and I think he did that really successfully. You know, he nearly had a goal against Egypt in Uruguay's opening game, would have had it if not for a very good save by the Egyptian keeper. And I think his obviously most impressive performance was when he got that brace to beat Portugal in the round of 16. I think it's a shame that he got injured when he did because, to be honest, if he had been fit, I might have picked Uruguay in the quarterfinals over France, who obviously ended up winning the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, he started slow, although he didn't particularly look bad. He just didn't get the goals. Then he got the the kind of tap-in against Russia, and I think I saw that and said, ooh, Cavani scored. Let's see what he does. And, I mean, Suarez didn't have his great a tournament, mainly because I think he dropped deep into the midfield since it was lackluster. But just watching the way Cavani tore Portugal apart almost single-handedly, and, yes, Suarez had, I think, both assists, but it was a great header, and then the second goal was a curled finish. It, I, I think I agree with you in that if he doesn't get hurt, I think Uruguay beats France, probably beats Belgium, might have another World Cup title. Um, and I think we saw just how valuable he was to that team when he couldn't play in the quarterfinal, and they really didn't create much going forward. Yeah, definitely definitely a shame for Uruguay. And we talked about this when they went out, that you know, who knows when they'll have this kind of opportunity again because a lot of their best players are you know getting older and you know might not be around for the next World Cup, so that that's Cavani, that's our World Cup 11s as they got increasingly similar as they went on, but uh, thanks for listening to both this episode and the podcast as a whole. Hope you have enjoyed, uh, and I guess we won't see you because this, this is the last one. Farewell. Yeah, um, we'll see if we do it again in four years, but that'll be winter, so that'll be kind of awkward. <laughs> This is the last. This is the last normal World Cup because it's winter in four years and then forty-eight teams. Yeah, yeah. It's the end of the World Cup as we know it, John. That's true. Um, but yeah, again, that'll do it from us. Thanks again for listening, and uh, take care. Goodbye.